DBHDD is reminding Georgians to ask their doctor about alternatives to opioid pain medication. Alternatives such as over-the-counter medications and physical therapy can be used to manage pain. More information at opioidresponse.info. I'm Steve Fennessy, and this is the lead story from Georgia Today. Over the past few weeks, states have slowly begun lifting some restrictions imposed by the spread of COVID-19. They're following the lead set by Georgia, which reopened last month. I strongly disagree with the governor's order to kind of reopen this soon. We haven't seen a decrease for over two weeks of infections in Georgia. There are some who are willing to sacrifice lives for the sake of the economy, and I, uh, that's unacceptable to me. Critics said Governor Kemp's decision to reopen some businesses in late April was way too soon. When President Trump disavowed him over it, it appeared like he was throwing one of his most faithful supporters under the bus. At the same time, he must do what he thinks is right. I want him to do what he thinks is right. Uh, But I disagree with him on what he's doing. On this episode of Georgia Today, we learn more about the governor's response to coronavirus and what will likely be the biggest decision by a Georgia governor in recent memory. Greg Bluestein has covered Brian Kemp for years. Greg's a political reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And he says, to understand the governor's response to the pandemic, you need to understand the man. I've covered the governor since he was a candidate for the state Senate um, in Georgia, in Athens, back in 2002. And I was working at this the college paper. And back then, of course, it was a very different time. Um, he was running against an incumbent, very powerful incumbent de- Democratic state senator who he beat in, a, in part of a political upheaval. But back then, his, his, one of his main pitches was getting more, more state funding, you know, growing the, getting more funding for the Athens community, something you don't necessarily hear from fiscal conservatives um, anymore. But of course, it, was a, it, was, it seemed like an eon ago. Um, he is a very ambitious man. He is a, a small business owner who, who wears that very close to his heart. I've been to all 159 counties, and, and I know how to create jobs. I've been doing it for 30 years. Uh, also someone who, who is very stubborn, who sticks to his gut. Um, I think because the governor has always been such an underdog, he's fiercely loyal to the people around him. And he, again, he's run for statewide office before governor lost. He ran for ag, ag commissioner and lost. But the people who helped him back then in the, in the mid-2000s, early 2000s and mid-2000s, are some of the same people who he turns to for advice now. Thank you very much, Georgia. This is like being at a Georgia football game. This is incredible. Wow. Let's go back in time about 18 months. Feels like ancient history now. The 2018 Georgia gubernatorial campaign. So it's November 4th, 2018. It's two days before the election to determine whether it'll be Brian Kemp or Stacey Abrams as our new governor to succeed Nathan Deal. Donald Trump has flown to Macon to endorse Brian Kemp. In just two days, the people of Georgia are going to elect Brian Kemp as your next governor. You were there. Oh, yeah. What a day that was. Now, he, he had done his surprise Twitter endorsement of the governor right before the runoff over the summer. We cannot forget that tweet that we heard around Georgia. And that turned what would have been, what might have been a really narrow or or closer 
um, Kemp victory over Casey Cagle in the Republican runoff into a runaway victory. I mean, he won. The, Brian Kemp ended up winning all but two of Georgia's counties. As you know, we had the momentum in this race, and those endorsements by the president and the vice president, they poured gasoline on the fire. The governor was an unabashed supporter of, of the president, and, they, and they, they have common cause on a lot of policies, um, particularly um, when it comes to rural Georgia. And a, a, lot, a lot of the president's rural supporters overlap with the governor's rural supporters. They both ran up huge margins in rural parts of the state um, where the president's message of remembering the forgotten man uh, really, really resonated. And that was kind of Governor Kemp's push, too. I mean, he, he got destroyed in parts of metro Atlanta suburbs by Stacey Abrams. I mean, victory, Democrats carved a blue path all over north metro Atlanta's uh, you know, northern arc in one seats they hadn't won in decades in the state legislature. Um, but in rural parts of the state, you saw Democrats that used to kind of get 30, 40 percent of the vote. That number dwindled to 20 to 30 percent in some states. There was one county, a couple counties where where Governor Kemp and, and President Trump both won upwards of 80 to, early, to low 90 percent of the support, which is kind of unheard of in politics. At least when it comes to the most outward appearances um, over in the 18 months since the election, mm-hmm. uh, Kemp has shown, you know, strident loyalty towards Trump. He has. Um, except, of course, when it came to appointing the uh, successor to Johnny Isaacson to fill out the unexpired part of his term. Yeah, that showed that, that the governor's not afraid of defying the president. Then um, again, this is the president who endorsed him, who helped him, who helped him to a victory over Stacey Abrams. And his first and most important political decisions, um, or at least one of the most important political decisions, was when Johnny Isaacson surprised Georgia's political establishment by saying that he was going to resign about two years early as he battled Parkinson's disease and other ailments. Um, That happened last summer. And immediate shockwaves throughout um, all of all of national politics, but particularly in Georgia. Georgia Governor Brian Kemp is in the process of picking a successor for retiring Republican Senator Johnny Isaacson, and he's asking anyone in his state to apply online. Governor Kemp is asking those interested. And people to started lining up, you know, within minutes to to urge the governor to appoint them, and one of them was Doug Collins. Um, a four-term Gainesville congressman who's very close with with Nathan Deal and and very close with President Trump. And over the ensuing weeks, it turned out that the president had vigorously lobbied multiple times, not just a phone call or two, but multiple times had urged Governor Kemp to appoint Doug Collins to this this vacant Senate seat. Um, Doug Collins at the time was the ranking Republican in the House Judiciary Committee and one of the president's top defenders against the impeachment process that was underway back then. Seems like ages ago, but it wasn't that long ago. Um, well, the governor went, his, went, it, went it alone. He went it his own way. He tapped someone who most Georgians had really never heard of. I'm proud to announce that conservative businesswoman and political outsider, Kelly Leffler, will be Georgia's next U.S. Senator despite the president's objections, and that was a pretty big break. But it wasn't long before everything changed. 
I'm Cheryl Preheim along with Caitlin Ross in the 11 Alive newsroom. We have a special report to share with you. Governor Brian Kemp has just confirmed the first death in Georgia from the coronavirus. It's a 67 year old man. He was in the hospital at Wellstar Kennestone. That's in Cobb County. And he tested. Greg, tell me about when this became real for you, the coronavirus pandemic. I was in Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina covering the presidential races and as they impacted Georgia. Um, but I remember um, the week it really hit home for me was um, the week that the, law, that the legislature suspended its session. That Monday, Senator Kelly Leffler had a giant event um, at the Cobb GOP headquarters with former UN Ambassador Nikki Haley, and there was hundreds of people packed into this small little room. She's only been on the job a couple of months. But you know, I'm not about the talk. It's all about the action. I remember so looking around and saying, this won't be months. happening in a week. And the last she's question Nikki Haley got so was um, from one of the reporters who said, is this a good idea to be having such a crowd, crowded, densely packed event? And she said, you know, we've got to keep on living as Americans. And life as we knew it was turned upside down. This task force will hold its first official meeting in a little under an hour here at the state capitol. To reiterate, we do not have any confirmed cases in Georgia, but we want to be prepared for whatever comes our way. I asked you earlier about when this sort of became real for you as a reporter. I'm curious when you saw it being real for the governor. To me, the moment that kind of really hit home was when President Trump visited Georgia and visited the CDC in early March. I was there um, with the uh, with the roving caravan of reporters um, covering the president's visit, and we stood in this CDC laboratory in the middle of the sprawling campus um, in Atlanta, and there was there was Governor Kemp, there was the president. Um, behind them was Senator David Perdue, Kelly Leffler, and Doug Collins, all in one line. One snapshot was quite the picture. And the president was being bombarded with questions about testing. Anybody that wants a test can get a test. That's what I, I would just say that we started testing in our lab in Georgia, our uh, Department of Public Health yesterday, which is a day earlier than we thought it would be today. So we are actually testing today. Um, I think I, I was watching the, the governor throughout that that press conference where it was focused almost entirely on, on President Trump. And I think, I think certainly it had hit home to him before that this was going to be a major issue, but I think watching that, um, the governor realized that this could very well consume the next few months of, of, of everything the state was trying to do, and quickly it did. We'll be back in a moment with Greg Bluestein. When we come back, could Governor Kemp and his Commissioner of Health really have just learned this fundamental fact about the virus's spread? Well, we've been telling people from directives from the CDC for weeks now that if you start feeling bad, stay home. Uh, those individuals could have been infecting people before they ever felt bad. Well, we didn't know that until the last 24 hours. That's ahead. This is Georgia Today.
Today's South is a diverse and dynamic place, rich with characters and traditions. I'm Virginia Prescott, host of On Second Thought, a podcast from Georgia Public Broadcasting. Each week, we step away from the headlines and into the lives of people moving the civic and cultural life of the region forward. From the Wall Street trader turned dog rescuer to the founder of a ministry for napping. Explore less obvious perspectives with On Second Thought. Subscribe to the On Second Thought podcast for free on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Steve Fennessy. On this edition of Georgia Today, we're talking with political reporter Greg Bluestein about Georgia Governor Brian Kemp's decision to reopen the state before virtually any other. Okay, so let's go back in time. It's April 2nd, and the governor is about to seemingly acknowledge just learning a very fundamental fact about how the novel coronavirus is spread. What we've been telling people from directives from the CDC for weeks now that if you start feeling bad, stay home. Uh, Those individuals could have been infecting people before they ever felt bad. Well, we didn't know that until the last 24 hours. And as Dr. Toomey uh, told me, she goes, this is a game changer. And not only did he he indicate that he had just learned that, but that Dr. Toomey had as well. And as I'm watching that, I'm thinking, surely Dr. Toomey knew that. You could tell from the pattern of spread, and we knew from the cruise ships that there's likely asymptomatic transmission. CDC guidance and our own testing patterns were to test those with symptoms. And so all of our epidemiologic models were based on people with symptoms. Help me understand a little bit about what happened there, because that was sort of the beginning of a lot of the the national sort of... um, uh, opprobrium, mm-hmm. if you will, against Governor Kemp in terms of how he's he's been leading Georgia. It was a, it was a gaffe. I mean, it was it was a it was a um, it was a mistake. Right. It was. And, and he, he not he did not acknowledge it was a mistake. Um, but so he knew it. He knew the right answer. I, is that what you're saying? I am. I am almost certain he did, because earlier in that speech, um, he had he had given a long wind up. He had given a, a big a long statement. Um, it was it was really long. It was like uh, 10, 15 minutes of sort of addressing the media directly, where he mentioned uh, correctly that the CDC had recently come out with new guidance showing that asymptomatic people with the disease had a higher infection rate than than previously thought. Um, and uh, when it was time for questions, I asked the first question. Governor, there's been a lot of uh, officials, politicians, mayors, county commissioners who have been asking for this step for a very long time. Uh, what was it that led you to take this step today? What do you have to say to them about why it took this long? And, um, and secondly, um, will you also be calling for a delay in the May 19th primary? All right, I'll try to remember all those questions you asked me, Sorry. Greg. Um, first of all, on the election, the... Um, and that's when he, he said that it was a game changer, that he found out that asymptomatic uh, people could transmit the disease. And knowing that he had said the more correct thing earlier on, that I, I kind of gave him the benefit of the doubt. Um, but what was interesting to me, and it's a sort of sign of the political times, is that it's, officials have a hard time just saying, I misspoke. You know, if he to me, if he had just said, I, I misspoke, you know, you heard I said the right thing or, you know, you heard me the first time say, say, say it correctly. I just misspoke. Let's move on. But it ended up becoming a story that dogged him for a while. And it wasn't the first unforced error 
from his from his office, which also complicated things because his chief of staff had just days earlier gone on Facebook and complained about local governments that were overreaching, they were overreacting to this virus by instituting. This is Tim Fleming. Tim Fleming by instituting um, severe restrictions, whereas the governor himself was out there encouraging local governments to do that. He said, "Look, if you don't, if you think that we, sh- you know, that you, you should go further than what I've done, go for it. Go, go, um, do do what's best for your community." And meanwhile, his chief of staff is saying, "What's with all this overreach?" So that complicated the whole, the whole narrative. I think there, and um, I've talked to people close to the governor who just wished he had just said, "Look, I misspoke. Let's move on." You know, let me ask about this idea of local control and letting communities uh, make decisions uh, based upon what they need best and what they see as best. Um, the governor initially did that and then issued a, a shelter-in-place order that basically said uh, to local communities, this, these are the rules by which you have to play. Whether you want it looser or more strict, sorry, but that's not an option anymore. That does seem to run counter to a conservative political philosophy um, that espouses sort of uh, local control and individual control. Mm, and individual liberties, exactly that. And you heard one of the more interesting comments out of all this was from DeKalb CEO Michael Thurman, who runs the biggest uh, D- Democratic stronghold in Georgia, DeKalb County, a county that Stacey Abrams walloped Kemp uh, by, with, with more than 80% of the vote back in 18. But he said, I miss the Republicans who always talked about local control. You can't treat this as a Georgia problem because it is impacting different uh, geographic areas and different demographics differently. So consequently, you need to de- develop a strategy that recognizes that not in the message and in the messenger, in the deployment of resources. And that's first and foremost what needs to occur. Again, this is one of those tough scenarios because at first you were he was he was espousing local control the city of atlanta if they want to you know close parks and 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 ban travel and restrict travel and 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 shut down businesses they can but if rural bainbridge georgia doesn't want to do the same move then they can and at the time too you had more of a disparity in cases you had you had certainly a number of rural counties that had no cases and you had um, hot spots and in Metro Atlanta, but the other complicating factor is the biggest hotspot in Georgia at the time was Albany, you know, which is the definition of a of a rural county. But a less a less reported part of the story was the rural officials who think he went who thought he went too far. You know, we're talking about um, I went down to Monroe County where they had about at the time they had about 15 cases of coronavirus, and uh, county officials were, were say, bring it on, open up. Re- this is, you know, we shouldn't be having to close these businesses. They felt like the restrictions went too far. And uh, several of the county commissioners I talked to said, look, look at the neighborhood Ingalls. Yeah. Go look at the Home Depot. There's people all over the swarming those stores with no masks. Uh, people want to get back out. So it's, and and remember, that's his base, right? The, the, that Those are the, you know, of course he's elected to lead all Georgia, but it's hard to forget the people who got you there and those rural, those rural counties where there was a, a willingness to be more proactive about reopening, I think, I think also helped drive, drove his decisions. So, Greg, help me understand, what were the factors weighing on Governor Kemp as he decided to reopen? I think one of the things that drove him were, were, were getting, he is a very accessible governor. 
um, to, to people have had his, he hasn't changed his cell phone for years. And so the people who knew him way back when, uh, maybe when he was a state senator or, or running for ag commissioner or whatever, you know, he still has that cell phone. Um, so he's getting texts all the time and messages all the time, um, from people who are worried about the livelihoods. He visibly vocally struggled with that. He talked about it in almost every interview, um, about how he's hearing from, from people who, who built businesses over decades, restaurants, um, you know, retail shops, whatever, over decades and saw their livelihoods just vanish. And that really weighed on him. Unlike other businesses, these, these entities have been unable to manage inventory, deal with payroll, and take care of administrative items while we shelter in place. Uh, at the same time, you're hearing from public health experts who said, if you do this, there could be, you know, astronomical death tolls. And by all accounts, it looked like he was doing what the president was urging governors to do. But then, a day later, Kemp learns that what he heard one day from the White House doesn't necessarily apply the next day. I told the governor of Georgia, Brian Kemp, that I disagree strongly with his decision to open certain facilities which are in violation of the phase one guidelines for the incredible people of Georgia. They're incredible people. I love those people. They are, they're great. And so the question for about an hour or so was, will the governor still move forward? And I knew he always would. A lot of the coverage that night, especially the national coverage, was, oh, he defied the president and this is his top ally. And it's true. He defied the president and it's his most important ally. As we talked about earlier, he's, he's, this is, he's not, he's not a, 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 an official who's, who's afraid of, of, of crossing that line with the president. And, I, and maybe, the, maybe the president respects him more for it. I, I don't know. Well, what risks does he run? Uh, there's risks, right? I mean... Um, he could. So there, there's a lot of speculation and talk out there. But I mean, look, what if what if Doug Collins or one of his allies loses the Senate race, um, but wants to run for governor in 2022 and primary um, Governor Kemp? Um, what would the president do then? Right. Um, there are also capital like political capital risks. Um, already he's facing um, troubles within his, his own party. Um, you know, we House Speaker David Ralston probably the second most powerful person in Georgia, um, has, has openly feuded with him over his priorities and even called for the governor to do a shelter in place days before he did so. So um, he, he, he risks losing more of his political you know, heft um, in making decisions as his agenda. Like He needs these people um, to stick with him if he wants to get some of his priorities done between now and 2022. And of course, all those priorities are now up in the air. But he needs he needs that party unity, and you saw it fray with Kelly Leffler. You've you've now seen several high profile Republicans defy him and endorse Doug Collins, and um, an open break with President Trump uh, only risks more damage. Um, that week, with, with, with the, he decided to reopen those businesses, and the president and Democrats and public health experts all criticized him, that week might be the defining week of his political career. You know, mm-hmm. something that we'll be talking about in 2022 and, and whenever, um, when we look back at, at governor's decision-making, because that was the, the week he decided to, to forge ahead and go with his gut. And we'll find out if, if that was the right move. 
Our thanks to Atlanta Journal-Constitution reporter Greg Bluestein. I'm Steve Fennessy, and this is Georgia Today. Our show is produced by Sean Powers. Thanks for listening. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.